We are back with another episode, The Montana Project. We're actually hitting double digits this week. This is episode 10. Uh, Corey and I got to sit down with good friend of ours, Bryce Retzlaff. Um, he's played for the Brisbane Lions in the AFL, uh, runs a successful plumbing company, branching off into property development now. Um, and we, we sort of discussed, I guess, a lot of ideologies surrounding business um, and tried to keep up with both Corey and Bryce, uh, their leagues beyond me in, in that field. Uh, but yeah, he's an excellent guest and an even better mate, and it was fantastic to um. Well, it's it's fantastic to have those sort of people in your life and and make you want to try to do more. So, yeah, without further ado, Bryce Retzlaff. Should we go no headphones? Yeah, or we can give it a crack. I'm, crack. I'm happy to. It's more low key. Cater yeah. to the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you like. Look good. I reckon you've won. I reckon you've won best looking guest so far. <laughs> <laughs> ah shit. Well, I think we're on. So if we're not, we're just going to be recording a bunch of nothing. Yeah. But welcome to the Montana project, mate. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> well, yeah. It took yeah. you half an hour to get it sorted. I'm, I said, yeah, I'm glad it was you because I was like, I hate feeling unprepared for something and then like i was sitting here and i actually realized and what it was was something so minor that i i i knew something was wrong in relation to like one of the mics and then i went and looked in like at the settings of it and it's like saying only two mics are hooked up currently i was like oh that's what it is it's definitely your way of punting Corey. mate not at all i just trying to trying to bloody work funny how it was my mic that (laughs) sorry mate mate. (laughs) usually the guest sits over here so it's weird that (laughs) closest to the door (laughs) well yeah do do you want to jump in on a welfare check Checking on it. I know that. I think we should check on Corey in yeah. his welfare, to be honest, because we we're talking before about him stealing a little bit of happiness yeah. from Sunday and Monday, and he might have pinched some from Tuesday as well. Yeah. He might have pinched some from me. He's, he's, he's in a world world of it. Yeah, I um, we had the ball for Labrador. Yeah. Um, all week I was telling everyone I'm going home to train after the ball finishes. <laughs> was that Reese's till three or four? <laughs> um. Yeah, stole stole every bit of happiness from today. <laughs> was there um, was there like speeches and stuff as well, or is it kind of just like, um, there usually is, but no. I think yeah, we just had roaming lofty. That was impressive. So, so lofty, um, he's like oh, he's a former president, been a sponsor of the footy club for, oh, he's been around the footy club for I don't know yeah. 15, 20 years or yep. something, and he does a lot of business breakfasts. He's really good at talking in front of big crowds and the like, and they just give him the mic, and he just started roaming the room and. Making, making people feel real uncomfortable and uh yeah it was funny because yeah. he was hammered as well so. yeah. yeah and he so. ended up with that rap he was just rapping and he wasn't stopping either really <laughs> yeah i don't know what song he was rapping but he was he was, he on, was on it yeah. <laughs> that's classy that's good that's awesome that was saturday night so how'd you, how'd you pull up sunday a bit rough yeah a little bit rough yeah <laughs> went to you, the beach. you were saying you kind of like got out of there well, not not early, but I you hung just around. Up. But I was yeah, I was old man veteran hat on and just sat on the same beer for a little bit. So I pulled up not too bad, but um, yep. usually I'm pretty bad with a hangover. So I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> I yeah, I don't have it in me. Like I I feel like I hate being hungover more than I enjoy a night out sort of thing. Mm. So. That's not what you tell yourself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have you have a couple beers and you're like ten yeah. beers deep. Yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, we usually start off about asking some questions. It's kind of, it's always strange when you like get someone on and you know them relatively well. But then when we started actually putting some research and time into you, I was like, oh shit, I actually don't know a heap about how you've grown up and that sort of thing. But yeah, please, please uh, elaborate. Um, I was born in Dandenong, Victoria. Um, I was, I lived there. Uh, with mum and dad until I was about two years of age and then we moved to Gold Coast because uh, I had really bad asthma as a kid. Um, and then, yeah, I've been here most of my life. Obviously, had some stints sort of back in Melbourne and in Adelaide for a little bit and Brisbane. Um, but, yeah, like Gold Coast is home. Um, it's where I see myself forever. Um, yeah, that's a, l- a little bit about me growing up like I'm an only child. Um, I was pretty fortunate with my upbringing. Uh, both my mum and dad were 
um, sacrificed heaps for me um, and allowed me to prosper and do, do everything I wanted to and encouraged me to do everything I wanted to. So um, I was very fortunate with that and yeah, mm. here we are. One of the things in relation to like, I think you actually mentioned it at Reese's wedding and it was talking <clears> about <throat> how so many guys, and this is probably something that we'll get into later, but like so many guys through footy and just team sports in general have like kind of become those brothers that, that you didn't have growing up. Is mm. that like pretty pretty true? Yeah, like footy or any team sport. I think team sport's so important um, for so many different reasons, obviously not just for the physical side of things, but like learning to work in a team to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of others. Um, there's so many elements to it, I think, um, are really beneficial. But like being in a its own community um, through sporting clubs and what that brings to your professional life outside of that and how many connections you get. But yeah, also like all my best friends are linked through footy. Like I pretty much know mm. just about every mate I have or, or a mate of a mate is a link through footy of some way. So um, yeah, it shaped my life really. Yeah. Did you, when you first moved up here though, cause obviously Gold Coast isn't like well known for AFL or like Queensland in general isn't well known for mm. AFL. Did you just start that because like obviously old boy, would have loved it and that's the yeah, thing. born in melbourne so whole family's afl and dad just i don't know he was um you had no was, choice really <laughs> i had no choice mate he he was yeah it was football and cricket in the summer so yeah and then as we moved here a little bit of surfing but yeah it was always footy yeah always so footy. where'd you where'd just, board. That's yeah that'd be sinking wouldn't <laughs> that's, it that's a big, big board <laughs> wasn't back then but yeah 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 hey, like when do you hit six because six foot's kind of like the peak of or not peak it's like it's i don't know i always get ripped on like i, I think i'm like 5 11 or probably probably not even a little foot, bit no nah. <laughs> <laughs> but like when did you hit because it would have been pretty uh, young late no nah, i was late really? i was yeah i wasn't um yeah like i didn't I, I suppose in football terms i always played in the midfield and all that up until maybe six under 16s or something so i was never and i sort of shot up pretty late i was a real tall skinny kid yeah from 16 to 22 so yeah. Before you moved up and just sat in the square. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, yeah. So do you go? Did you go back and play footy down in Vic? Like Box Hill, I did. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, I played all my juniors at Labrador, and then um, a year at Mudrabar and Southport, and then I actually left. Um, I stopped playing footy at age of sixteen because I just started my school based apprenticeship with Dad. Yeah. Um, and sort of fell out of love with it a little bit, and then come back at um, eighteen. Um, played half a season back at Labrador Seniors and then somehow miraculously got picked up. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, spent three, four years up in Brisbane and then and then I moved to Victoria after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then moving moving back there as well, because like, it's obviously a very high level of footy. Was that a big step up or is it kind of... Like no, you... well, Brisbane being the highest um, level there and then... Uh, doing my ACL and, and moving away. So I, I was pretty much in my comfort zone a hell of a lot because I, um, when I left Labrador to play at Lions, I was yep. only an hour up the road from my family and I'm I'm very much a homebody and like being around my network. Mm. So mm. Um, I suppose moving away from Queensland to live back in Victoria um, and sort of after my AFL career finished with Brisbane and had multiple complications with my knee, it was sort of a bit of a punt for me and a, a big thing, but it was the best thing because I grew up pretty fast so mm. um yeah it's a different it's playing footy in melbourne is very very different to here because it's a it's like a religion down there so yeah yeah, yeah it's certainly different it's it's kind of like the following that it has there is somewhat obviously not to the extent but like in america like nfl college like college games mm. sorry not nfl um that like they get a hundred thousand to like just a normal like weekly game That's and mad, stuff eh? crazy mm. crazy but like even going down to the G, like I, I got to, um, I think what, who did we watch, Collingwood and Blues, mm. and that was like a, just a normal week game sort of thing. That was probably eighty thousand there, and like it's coming from rugby league, like it's something I hadn't seen before. You might get like twenty thousand at the Titans game sort of thing, and it's just hectic. Hey, like what's it's, it's mad. What's it like playing in front of that sort of crowd? Like obviously, because how how many games <laughs> you play at Brisbane? Eleven, eleven yep. AFL games. Um, the I remember we played uh, Carlton um, at Etihad Stadium, which is now Marvel Stadium, and I think there was forty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was the first time. So we played at the Gabba a lot, um, and I played like a fair few NAB Cup games and that sort of thing. So it was certainly the first time you sort of run out in front of anyone more than a couple of thousand. Mm. It's it's a shock to the system. Yeah. Um, do you but, find that you get nervous for it though, or do you just oh shit zone bricks. it out? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. absolutely shit bricks. <laughs> I think. Um, I don't know, it's funny. You can see how it becomes the norm though, I suppose. Like I played my 11 games um, in the same season all pretty close to each other. So as I was sort of playing more footy in front of crowds, by the end of it, it would become like the nerves had settled. And then once the game started, um, yeah, it's just fast and, and you're into it. I think it's all the pre-game stuff and the warm-up and everything where you take it all in a, bit, a little bit. But the, I remember the game vividly against Carlton because every time they'd sort of score at the other end, you'd see like this wall of navy blue supporters go up in the stands and then the sound would hit you like three or four seconds later. So really? Was, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was just, that was pretty intimidating. But yeah, unbelievable experience. Um, something not a lot of people get to experience. So mm. it's, um, and especially at a young age, I think like I was 19 years old, um, sort of doing that in, in a professional environment. So it, it changes you very quickly. Mm. Mm. Who'd you debut against? Uh, our, my debut was the first ever Q Clash. Was it? Against the Gold Coast Suns. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. And they beat us. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and, um, yeah. So that was unreal. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> um, I, I got to Brisbane just as um, uh, Brenna Favola got there at the same time. Yeah. The same year as that. And the Lions played finals, I think, the year before. And it was sort of so like. Jonathan Brown, Simon Black, Brendan Favola, these sort of guys were there. So me as a fresh-faced 18-year-old, I'd never come through like the junior programs or anything like that. I was never really that good as a kid um, playing footy. So I was very starstruck when I first walked in and um, I was just a plumber. Apprentice plumber would be bad. Um, And uh, yeah, into that, it took a while. You grow up really fast. Do you think it changes your game as well like you know when i don't know like growing up if you got to play with older grades and that sort of thing you always kind of had to play better to keep up do you, do you think it was that to a certain degree like because you're thrust into a team that was yeah elite level guys like yeah i think um well i sort of evaluated the situation pretty quickly when i got there that i didn't like i never had a lot of natural talent like i'm and i'm not super talented with like athletically i'm like okay at most things, but I'm, I don't have any element where I'm really good. So I wasn't quick. Yeah. I didn't have great agility. I wasn't um, super strong where a lot of these guys did. So I sort of um, viewed it as if, well, I just have to try and be the hardest worker in the room mm. um, to try and make up for it. But reality is like at that elite level, you either have it or you don't. Um, very few don't have a combination of both. Yeah. And I probably had the work ethic, um, but my talent probably wasn't quite there. Right. So... Um, I mean, the injury and the surgeries and that to my knee come at a pretty bad time and didn't help. But I mean, the reality is I was never going to be a Lance Franklin or a John Brown or anything like that. Um, but it would have been nice to eke out a few more years in that environment and at that level. But I was never probably good enough for that. Did you, mm-hmm. did you do your knee in a game? Yeah, I did my knee um, against the Suns reserves. Yeah. Um, I just went up for a mark. It was like a minute into the game. Just went up for a mark on the wing, got sort of tunneled a little bit and then hyperextended it back and yeah and knew straight away it's yeah it's a because it was acl and then you do some meniscus or something everything else was not too bad i had like bad bone bruising and that which took a bit but mine was more with the surgery um so when i did when i had the operation i had some uh, like there was a the guy that did it i won't mention his name (laughs) (laughs) the guy that did it um he'd done a couple other the boys knees and, and hadn't done a great job and um he actually had a nickname going around the club, which I won't mention either. But, um, he drilled like, so obviously for those who don't know, like when you have your ACL, they drill through your femur and your tib yeah. fib um, and they take your hamstring graft and they sort of feed it through the tunnels and, and it turns itself um, from a tendon into a ligament yeah. over time. Um, but the, when he drilled the tunnel, he drilled it too close to the underside of my kneecap. Yeah. Um, so when I had, like when I wasn't getting better and I couldn't extend my leg and, and the like, um, I just, yeah, basically I had to go in and they were going to do a scope to see if um, there was a possibility where they could shave my kneecap and a little bit of the graft to try and give myself enough room where I could extend my leg and they thought it was about a 10% chance that it happened they actually thought I'd have to they'd take it out and fill the holes and then I'd have to get another ACL once the holes had sort of healed really um, 
Because that it gets tricky as well. Because like essentially they, they glue it into place. But if you try, it's like even if anyone's ever worked with a drill and you try to drill into a hole that's already there, it's like it gets yeah, yes. it gets messy. So they put is it marrow bone marrow in that yep. you know and it sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to wait six months or something like that for it to set. So. And I was, yeah, like I was a young kid with, you know, trying to get back into the system and all that mm. sort of stuff. So it was pretty, um, it was a pretty tricky time. But and managed to, um, Tim Whitehead down in Victoria managed to sort of shave the kneecap enough that I could play, and I've got another ten years out of it. So I'm sure I'll need a replacement at some point. But mm. um, it's yeah. it's quite amazing. Like I know even they do the grafts from cadavers or like the Achilles tendon and stuff as mm. well. But one of the things that I kind of overlooked essentially is getting that graft off your own hamstring in a way you come out of surgery and now you've got a torn hamstring or not a torn hamstring the but it was the worst that was, yeah that was the thing that would grab yeah yeah and yeah. like yeah i remember doing when we we're doing the rehab and going through that sort of process it was like i thought i'd be doing a lot more knee work and stuff but it, the knee kind of just heals in time as long as you're not going too hard on it but the hammy was the tricky one yeah yeah and i think for myself, I, to a certain degree, I think the injury might have happened from like a deficit in like the hamstrings, like the quads were um, stronger. At, in, yeah, 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 in proportion. But I don't know. Like it's just one of those things that yeah, it, it happens and it sucks. But you sort of you got to move on. <laughs> yeah, they've got a lot. I think it's come a long way since I've done what I did mine ten years ago or something like that. So I think it's come a long way now. Yeah. In terms of that and all your rehab and getting back a lot quicker. So. Yeah. So having that injury, did that like sort of spur you into doing, still playing footy now, obviously, but you've also been involved with like jujitsu and boxing, especially. Is that something that's always been around, or? Um, well, I, I come down to do a bit of jujitsu with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I retired from footy, and um, to be honest, I just wanted something that where uh, so football has been a part of my life since I was four, and I wanted something that was completely different, where I was at the bottom of the food chain. Um, and something that would humble my ego and um, and really have like a curious mindset and a learning mentality again because not that I didn't with footy and, and the like but it can become quite stale and I just wanted to try yeah. something a little bit different and being at a higher level for so long at it you kind of yeah like you well I, like I'm not I'm, I'm not going to get any better really yeah. now um, at footy and, and the like so you play for different reasons but yeah I was, know, you look pretty good on the wing I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel 45 okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like that, I've always had, a, um, always loved the sport of boxing. Um, I never really wanted to take it up cause I didn't want to get punched in the head, Yeah. but, um, I enjoyed doing a little bit of sparring and the like, and I just, I follow it as I enjoy the yeah. sport. So. And seeing like, I guess with anything like you're saying before with any kind of team sports, cause even though boxing is an individual sport, you've got a team, like you got you have to have those people around you to, to make anything of it or, or whatever but um yeah some pretty unreal people they met like danny green mm. like the maloney boys like yeah. yeah well i was fortunate enough to you brought us down um to kingy and watch them train and, and hang out with them and yeah like it's it's pretty cool how like you can sort of be brought together with those sort of people yeah how'd that relationship come about yeah it was, was, a, it, it, was it was a cool story i um when i did do my knee um Oh, sorry, just before I did my knee, I was, I think we are having a week off or something in Brisbane. We were just having a few beers at a pub um, and uh, Simon Black, who knew that I, Danny Green was my idol growing up as a sportsman, um, him and, and, and a footballer. So when he, he just coincidentally had, was at a pub at the same time as we were there and um, Blackie sort of introduced us and I was I got chatting a fair bit about my old man and he was he has a real close relationship, had a real close relationship with his old man. Um and we just had a few beers and sat there for a couple of hours um, talking. And he's real personable and um, he's such a great human being. And we, at the end of the conversation, he was like, oh, mate, send me your address and uh, your phone number. I'll send you a heap of signed stuff and I'll get your old man assigned, um, assigned gloves and all that sort of stuff. That's and then it. he'd come back and did some sparring. I think he was, I can't remember what fight it was for, but I think it was the Antonio Tava fight um, where he was doing some sparring and at, at the lines we had a, a ring so I obviously went and watched that and continued combo with him and he um, uh, took us on the mitts for a little bit and all that sort of stuff and then I just flicked him a message every now and then and um, he would always sort of chat and, and the like and then when I did my knee um, uh, reached, uh, reached out to him and he got us over to Perth um, me and my old man and we went and watched him fight and then we actually 
sort of relationship, like my mateship with him, blossomed from there. Because after he won the fight, we ended up um, calling into a bottle and ended up in a. Um, he got an apartment for a few nights. So him and the team and me and my old man got on the piss for a oh, couple of days. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, from there, we just stayed in touch and um, we become real good mates with him and Angelo Hyde as his trainer. Yeah. Um, and that's how we sort of, obviously, the link with the Maloney boys because mm. um, Angelo's sort of like the godfather of Aussie boxing. And, um, yeah, I, I think the thing I get from sort of Greeny and H and the Maloney boys is just how genuine they are. And, um, yeah, just I really enjoy their company and their mateship from, from that perspective. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool to go down. Like it was obviously you brought Reese, um, brother, and myself down, and I think by the end of the session we were playing like ping pong with them yeah, and stuff like that. And, little buggers, aren't they? Oh, it's <laughs> hectic. Like yeah, yeah they were, they were arguing over points. I'm like I'm a bit nervous here. Like someone's about to throw punches. <laughs> on me. Definitely not. Definitely out of my league. But it was it was cool. But it was like it was so hard to explain going down there, and then like just not even understanding you'd you'd see every like three punches that they threw because for one they were so quick mm. and so technical but they yeah it's like yeah they're they're speaking another language and you, you're just occasionally getting snippets of it sort of thing yeah. i always love it when you go watch a boy spar and angelo will sit there and you'll be having a full-blown conversation with you watching him and then he'll or he'll be chatting to you out of the corner of his eye. He'll throw a little move your foot here do this there and then oh, that's the one and he's not even really watching it's like yeah you you got actually have no idea of the levels, the difference in level to the just the standard punter like us having a, looking at it compared yeah. to someone at that elite level. So, what's it like hitting the mitts with Danny? Because is he able to just like not sink to your level? But <laughs> <laughs> is he is he able to um, still hold it for someone like that, or is it like yeah, you gotta... they um he does a him and the guys do like a um, like a 10 and 12 week challenge with a lot of corporates yeah um where they sort of do like a 10 week uh, fitness camp and the like and then they all jump in and do a round of sparring with him and everything like that so yeah um and he's got his gym tra- um chains that was 12 rounds he's just yeah. rebranding at the moment so he's yeah he's just he's um great with that and he's out in the community all the time working with standard punters so yeah and he's pretty it's pretty easy to do it any any push the massive campaign of like the um, like against King Hitting and stuff. Yeah. Punch and that, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's kind of how it changed from King Hitting to yeah. Coward's yeah. Punch, that's and right. it's like it's a, yeah, it's a great way of <laughs> explaining yeah. it. Really. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think I think the ability for people to sort of push, I guess, positive things like that, um, at, at a high level, like because he's probably one of the, the biggest names in Australian boxing for sure. Mm. Like, yeah, to to have that um that broadcast i guess and to be able to share such like an important thing as well is pretty cool yeah i think he just um resonated with the australian public so much because he's just a stand-up bloke Mm. and he always had time for everyone and has time for everyone and um yeah he never really elevated himself or put himself above others i think that's why everyone loved him Mm. yeah for sure the fun stuff obviously in your life is the sport now Mm. your drive um for work is massive and like just listening to you talking about how you considered yourself as less um talented than other people but like obviously you're willing to put the work in and that's definitely come through with your plumbing business Mm -hmm. with your old boy and um do you do you find like sports a good release for you like just to balance out the rest of your life because obviously running a business tradies can be knuckleheads (laughs) at times so (laughs) dealing with that and just putting out fires like how, how do you sort of manage your your mental health um, with that um yeah i view exercise and sport as a huge um component of dealing with mental health i i think i like a lot of guys and because it's becoming quite open now um and encouraged for men to talk about that sort of stuff um whereas maybe 10 years ago it wasn't it was you had to it was a lot harder to deal with but now um it's, it's much more open conversations like i see a psychologist once a month to almost like a, a mindfulness coach now, um, but she helped initially with a you know period of my life where I wasn't going so well. Um, where now it's a lot of you know I'm armed with tools um, mm. and I have a greater understanding myself. So we just she just helps sort of keep that in check, really just maintenance. Um, but for me, um, sport or, or just training and exercising in general is like huge. Like the feeling you get from just going for a run or going to the gym or whatever it may be. 
and how that makes you feel good or eat clean, um, sleep well, all these sort of things, I think plays a huge role in it. Um, and also gives, uh, I suppose, like the juggling act between having aspirations in business and that sort of stuff. Um, it's nice to have, and I think it's super important to have something else that you're aspiring to do on the side or mm. um, otherwise you can become quite consumed in the hustle um, and it becomes, you know, one day becomes the next and then all of a sudden they just marinate into one big day and one big week. Mm. Um, and then you putting all your eggs in that basket, a little bit of, um, you know, and you're riding the waves of the ups and downs of business alone. Whereas for me, um, exercise is an outlet um, and making sure that I have like a goal within that because for, like if we, I'm sure we'll probably talk about the Feb challenge at some point. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, um, well, you were leader in the first week, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I hit not, the not to, not to, yeah, not to go off, off topic because, yeah, I'll, I'll um, let you keep rolling. We'll, no, we'll address it after. But it was, it, um, and I was just talking to you before about like when f- footy makes it really hard because there's so many good things that come with football um, with the connections with people and being a part of a community and, and all that sort of stuff. But mm. it also um, very like it limits you in terms of what you can do. So I can it's a, yeah, it's a commitment and especially mm-hmm. for yourself, like being commitment. a captain, it's a responsibility. Like Correct. Yeah. Um, so like a part of me is very keen for, to, for, for that to finish. So mm. it opens up my options is to, I could love to train for a triathlon or something like yeah, that. And, cause, yeah, because yeah, we were addressing that earlier. So like, are you looking at doing something specifically? Um, like, a, is there one on the Gold Coast or like Sunny Coast? Or you don't, you just sort of... I don't know. Like I, I, like I dabbled in jiu-jitsu a little bit with you. I, part of me would, there's like a, like an itch I need to scratch with like a few amateur fights. Like I feel like I've, yeah. I want to know what it feels like to make a walk into a ring and yeah. have a punch on mm-hmm. with someone on the other side. Like, um, yeah, like I don't know. Like I would, I'd, I think um, it would be really refreshing to just try all of those things and because I would, wouldn't be any good at them um, yep. because I'd be starting at the bottom of it. It'd be nice to have that sort of student mentality again mm. um and obviously your progression in things um at the start of them when you don't know them are obviously you accelerate really quickly yeah, so mm. yeah that feeling of learning and, and progressing really fast would would be good too with the triathlon do you because you were doing a lot of riding throughout the um feb challenge which and, pers- got, and got stitched up <laughs> yeah, yeah i was gonna got, say pretty bad <laughs> so, so we did it we did it roughly <laughs> roughly on a triathlon split and what you got quartered so you do 100k like you were pumping out 100k rides yeah. most saturdays mm. and then you'd just get that all chopped down to a 25 kilometers so and then you'd go sit on the rower for 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the same case. I remember we did, because um, we had Saturday morning trainings as well. Yeah. And me and you were staying back. Run extra laps. And, yeah, an extra 20, 30 minutes running laps. I remember one we had, I think we pumped out 10Ks of running. And then you're like, you get back in the change. You're like, I'm going for a ride. And you rode like 100K. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, had to, I, thought, well, I thought people would... Um, be sensible about it but then it just got ridiculous yeah we said this last week when we were in the episode like it got silly so quick like it was it was awesome but i remember like i don't feel like a very anxious person i remember being at work and thinking someone's out there exercising and <laughs> yeah, i'm not and like oh you because we all had strava going you could like each night you could see what everyone's been up to and i know because you you won the first week yeah yeah i think so yeah you come, come out on top and then like I, I, there was there was a split probably by like the top four or five and then there was like a 50k gap to the next bunch and <laughs> i remember messaging someone and being like like if we drop off even for a day like you're out like that's mm, that's done because and i was i was thinking maybe like yeah five ten maybe 15 k's a day will be like right up there and then yeah i think you you pumped out 140 or something for the first week <laughs> It was I a remember. lot. I remember it was a lot. And then I was like, just knowing how committed you get to stuff as well. It's like, oh, he's going to send his plumbing company broke. <laughs> he's like going to work out for all of them. Yeah. yeah. Just like, have a month of leave. Yeah. Yeah. Hawk, look after the business. <laughs> how come bike riding? Is it more of like a physical thing or is it like a mindfulness? I, I, I love the, I love running too. I think the riding is good because like, I don't pull up sore. So like for me, the impact um of running uh, and it's, it's more of an off leg thing and it helps with that lower back and the likes so i feel like you can sort of run and ride mm. at the same get big k's in where i probably mm. couldn't do like i haven't i've never trained for like long running so i, I could I probably do 10k a day you know every day sort of thing but much more than that you would 
because mm. I haven't trained for it. In footy, you don't really train long distance running. It's all repeat speed stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I like, the, I like the adventure of jumping on the bike and especially here on the coast, you can sort of ride along the beach and then you can go into the hinterland and... Um, yeah, yeah. Seeing, seeing some of your stra- like your rides on Stravas and then speaking to you after it, one of the things I remember you said was pretty much you enjoyed how many things you could see in one yeah. bit of exercise sort of thing. Like you ended up, yeah, way out in the hinterland and yeah, all you that. You can go from Burley to Tambourine and um, all on the same ride. Yeah, and it's it's peaceful. There's not many people around. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, I find that with running and exercise as well. Like it's, it's a space that allows your thoughts to be creative and you can assess things and my mind doesn't really stop a lot. So it's either when I jump into bed and, and try to get to sleep but don't or mm-hmm. if I'm on one of those sort of longer runs or rides or something it's a it's a creating a space for myself i'm not gonna lie i jumped on gumtree <laughs> and i started looking at like race bikes and, then, <laughs> and i know dad was pumping out like because he he went and bought the rowing machine i was like i started good and they were like a thousand bucks and stuff i was like how much do i really care about this <laughs> i know dylan dylan and Lockie bought one when Lockie was living with him and i don't know how much that got used it had like the, the stand, robot twice the stand, yeah yeah <laughs> But um, I think everyone's keen to do like a sprint triathlon because that's... Yeah. What, What's the distance on that? They're cut, they're cut down. I think it's like a 700 meter swim, oh, the sp- yeah. 5K run, 20K Something bike like that, ride. I think, yeah. Because you, you were talking about the, short, but... the half, so 21K. No, it's 1900 swim, isn't it? And then 90K ride and then 21K run. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. That'd 90. Be, <laughs> see, that, yeah. The tough part would be the swim. Because I know everyone kick we, were talk- face. Oh, we were talking <laughs> about the swimming and we're like, it's just like, just turns your mind. Like, shit. Just- like looking at the, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, are you talking about the, the practice leading up to it? Just swimming in general. Because <laughs> yeah. I was doing yeah. it in a 25 meter pool <laughs> and I'm just like, I hate this. Like you get to one end. I couldn't light. do the tumble turn either. So I was just stand up, <laughs> turn around, <laughs> swim back. But, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't be swimming. Much. I think <laughs> I, I think there was a bit of bit of controversy that come through as well because someone tracked it as a fifty meter pool and they swam in twenty five, so they were getting double the turns. I'm I'm real, um, yeah. I, I reckon there was a, lit, a fair bit of <laughs> <laughs> bit gone. Yeah. I I yeah, I'm pretty sure I was like truthful throughout the thing. Like I, yeah, it was hard though because then you some things like you couldn't really track other than with a photo of it like rowing obviously you're not traveling distance mm. so you can't chuck mm. it on strava and stuff but rowing should just be scrap mate well it was, it was originally <laughs> it was originally double wasn't it on the yeah, f- and yeah. then it got it got changed before we actually tallied up but everyone i remember being pro rowing because i was doing it in the morning because i realized i'm like it's pretty low impact so you can yeah you can do it and i was doing it before work and then i'd run the arvos or doing something else but Although you look at the difference between like me and Bryce, and on the rower, on the rower, and a lot easier your, for you to pull your it back. rowing. Your <laughs> rowing splits were pretty good. Like I know I was. I'm double your weight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm pretty sure for the first week as well, I told you to row on ten because you get more per pull. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember I got like I don't know like six k or something out of it. I'm like went up to everyone. I'm like, fuck, that was hard. And you're like. Yeah, I think I just did like 14 in the same amount of time. <laughs> I, I remember I, I rode, like, sorry, on a bike, so I cycled 20K one Arvo because I was like, I just wanted to change it up. I was so over rowing as well. And when I got back after however long it took and then it, I realized that I'd only get 5Ks from it, I'm like, I'm not riding again. <laughs> yeah, it's a massive stitch up. Yeah, did you, and I reckon as well, you would have you would have probably got second. No one was catching Tom, but you would have yeah, got... Yeah, it was, it was a mile Lundy he can run that boy. yeah I, I think know. he did I think he did like 80% of his running or walking like he'd mm. just get home in the Arvos after work and walk to Burley and back or like he's got pace on him as well he was yeah, doing like 12k's at 4 minute mm. k pace would you see he got back for a run the other day first time in ages and he ran like a three, <clears throat> 340 or something <laughs> and I was like that's flying yeah. I, I remember he went past me one day and like I couldn't even hear his feet hitting the ground there he's just <laughs> It's a little bloke's mate. Yeah. I got my Yeah. Excuses. Yeah. Now I reckon we definitely tee something up again. Like I, I was trying to do something for June. I was, oh, haven't hit every day of it because I was trying to do like a, 
3k each day but unfortunately the well, not unfortunately but the bucks fell within june so <laughs> i definitely wasn't running over that weekend but you would have two-stepped your way to 3k yeah <laughs> Dan, yeah if you check my steps it would have been all right but yeah no I, I think it's it's so important to get that sort of challenge among everyone because i one of the most beneficial parts of it was how active that chat was mm. and like seeing everyone and being like how's everyone doing everyone's checking in on each other and it's just that perfect balance of camaraderie but also like challenge each other and that's good yeah that's really good yeah it was, it was very enjoyable mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, i got like two weeks and was everyone like, was stoked though once it finished bad. as well but it was fun even at the end like we all met up had a beer down at Bine and yeah, stuff it and that, yeah it was it was really enjoyable the next challenge would be a day thing i think like a one not, day. not a full well, month we, no, what about the um we were thinking at november weren't we were going to do movember and then at the end of it do the goggins 48 hours yeah 100 percent. yeah for that. i've been trying to build my base because i feel like when we went into it like Corey, Lockie, and i we were probably not <laughs> not ready yeah. what um, was our practice we did a practice run three days before just to see what pace we'd go at <laughs> and that was the only practice we did for the whole yeah. thing yeah it was it was yeah, it would be good though. I think same thing with that though, because we all stayed together. It was like you wake up and it's like you get ready for your midnight run. But the, the smallest spark of excitement just lights everyone up, and it's like it's all you need. But we walked out and everyone's rubbing their eyes and stuff, just don't want to run. And then someone just goes, "Let's go." Yeah. <laughs> that that's sort of all you needed. But yeah, do you, do you think those kind of challenging aspects of sport help you with business, or is it? Yeah, I think. Um... I think my time in professional sport is um, been imperative for my business career mm. and, and will be because for my whole life really like as I said I, I didn't think you know, so looking back like I don't I don't I was never really stacked with talent so but it teaches you how to graft and, and grind really hard and it was something that I sort of adapted and then um, I just think also like a an elite level sport there's certainly like you're reviewing yourself all the time and you're constantly under pressure to perform um, like literally every single day you're watching tape of yourself or, or a coach is saying you didn't quite do this right or whatever so you're constantly reviewing and constantly trying to push the limits yeah um so there are so many principles that you can draw from that and then and take into the business world i think a lot of people would there's i know a lot of people that um you know heavily involved in sport and, and sort of drawn a lot of that into their business so yeah i think it's helped heaps um, yeah especially with building a team and um having people around you like i'm probably more of an introvert um naturally um so you know getting yourself out of your comfort zone networking with people building a team um understanding sacrifice and and the like so it's helped heaps how do you find your self-talk with work as well because that's obviously a massive component and just analyzing analyzing your performance like do you are you comfortable with that or like do you do you feel that's somewhere where you want to work on um, it's hard because I suppose plumbing, plumbing's not my passion. Yeah. So um, I think like like sort of moving into property development is my passion. So with plumbing, it's always been a vehicle to get to the next step. Mm. Um, and in business, it's a lot more numbers driven, I suppose. Um, so it's it's hard to try and find the balance um, between being you know driven by the numbers and creating camaraderie amongst people and. Um, I just think in construction as a whole um, is quite a like for, as a blanket. It's quite a negative industry at times. I reckon. Um, what What do you mean by that? Well, so like prior to plumbing, like I, was, I did a lot of um, I did some study in finance, and then I become a mortgage broker. And so like if I was just to compare that as an example, um, I would go into someone's home, or they would, I'd meet with them and. I'd restructure their loans and I'd be able to save them four or 500 bucks a month and I'd feel like I was doing good for somebody. Um, whereas in the construction game, when we're doing high-rise buildings or something like that, and it's just constantly, you didn't do this right or you didn't quite do that right or there's, there's not that you're seeking a pat on the bum, mm. but um, I feel like it's very problem-focused a lot of the time. Um, and like I like any industry with the egos and the like, but I just there's probably a lot more free reign of that within the construction game. Um, so certainly my experience has been uh, yeah at times it can be quite consuming and negative in that space whereas I'm probably a little bit more of a creative mind and, and hence why I'm passionate about moving into property development and we're getting there mm-hmm. um, 
because I feel like you know you're looking at a vacant buffer prior to even picking a block. You know you're running all your numbers to make sure your feasibility stacks up and you can actually do something that your vision's trying to create, and then to sort of see that come to life, um, and then the end product is far more rewarding, I suppose, and plumbing becomes, um, yeah, a lot of the same stuff. Do you see it as kind of like a means to an end? Like to it's a way to fund the things you actually want to do. Yeah, and it was always that at yep. the start. Um, but then as it as it evolved, like people are the key ingredient, yeah? So um, obviously your brother has been with us for a while and, and I've got some good mates in there and some key guys that um, have helped grow and become part of the furniture and I'd like to help continue that growth with them and, and then it, they make it their own a little bit and keep it going mm. um, and reward them because I think... Um, I get great satisfaction out of seeing people that are close to me prosper. So to be able to create an environment for a couple of my close friends um, to hopefully grow through and, and create a really good life for himself and whether they be, you know, become partners in it and, and the like, um, that would be great. But it is it has always been a vehicle to get to something that I'm more passionate about for sure. Do you find the scaling of a business is the tricky, like one of the tricky things? Because I know... Going through my apprenticeship and stuff, when I was working directly with builders or like um, even chippies and stuff, they always said to me that you either have like two guys and you're profitable or you got to have like 30. Yeah. And did you find the same thing when you're working your way through it or was it like? Um, so we started with um, just dad and I uh, and we just did like a little servo yep. and we never really, like I didn't really know what my vision was with it at the start. Um and then as it's sort of, uh, as I mentioned before, I've got a real curious mind. So I, I like asking questions and um, I feel like that helps me a lot. And I'm not afraid to sort of get a no. So I'd ask heaps of questions and then um, we sort of went down the path of uh, we can sort of build this into something. So I think in the space of um, two or three years, we sort of went from dad and I to sort of 40 or 50 employees. Mm. Um, and obviously that, that changes and fluctuates pending on projects and the like, but um, that, yeah, there was a lot of the cart before the horse mm. through that. Um, and I think my old man and I have, you know, a lot of different skill sets. He's got great experience in the construction industry and been doing it a hell of a long time. And I sort of had more of a numbers background um, through my time in finance and property and that sort of stuff. So um, it worked really well. Um, and we still do work really well like that. The scaling of it was, yeah, it's trying to find that sweet spot's really difficult because your overheads grow um, and then you need a minimum amount of turnover to obviously fund those overheads. And then mm. when, when things get a little bit challenging and especially if you sort of grow too quickly, I think that's where a lot of businesses fall over. Um, and then they start, or they start trying to buy work and undercut and um, do projects for losses just for cash flow. So it becomes an issue from, from that side of things. So uh, we're still juggling what that sweet spot is and how we potentially transition out of that into full-time in developing. But um, again, a lot of it's dependent on the industry too. Like at the moment, um, as you know, it's pretty tricky in construction over the last six months. So we were probably the, the lucky industry that sort of floated through COVID um, with not too many speed bumps. And then now um, it sort of feels like the train's caught up with us and, and going through it all with like obviously huge project delays, materials, labor shortages and the like. So navigating through that. And I think that's what business is, is um, you're a problem solver, making sure that you you humble yourself and you don't get too far ahead of yourself um, and navigating through the storm. Mm. It's quite interesting how growing too quick can be what kills a business though. Massively. Like people don't really think about that. They're always like, you need, like you want to grow, you want to grow, but then if you go way too quick for what you guys can actually expand to. Yeah. And, and you think like in a like um, construction game as well, like you get paid. Um, like so, so in, for the month of June, you'll do your work for the month of June. You put your invoice in in June, then you get paid at the end of July, but you'll get, you get paid 90% of what your invoice is because the builder holds 10% um, for retention, which you get at the end of the job, you get half of it and then you get the other half 12 months later. So, if you're, if say you go out and buy a couple of new machines or whatever it may be, and you put a few staff on at the start of June, and then you know, you're adding 20, 30 grand a week or whatever it may be to your expenses, um, and then you've got to carry that load for seven, eight weeks before you get any money back for that, and that's how your cash flow mm. chewed up really, really quickly. 
Um, so yeah, it's just about it's making sure you don't get ahead of yourself. Like we're not big lavish spenders, and we've sort of every money, every dime um, that we've sort of made, we've tried to reinvest and mm. again come closer to the development dream, um, which we've we've started and we're moving in. But you need big equity to be able to. Um, get that moving quickly and it's, it's something that's that doesn't have a cash flow mm. so yeah i know you've you've mentioned to me um one of <laughs> i remember i think i called you one time and i was like it's probably a bit early and it was one of those morning calls where i was firing again i've had my coffee <laughs> and, and, and i've called you i think you're actually on holiday or something props to bryce what a nice fellow he is he's like i was like oh sorry mate i'll call you back he's like no no what's what's up what's up and i started asking i think because we were with the current market obviously our place we've we've um, grown in value and then trying to look at the options of whether we sell or whether we use the equity and you yeah like to to have that advice is pretty cool but like yeah do you have any because i know you've always said like to increase your your um your flows of income so that sort of thing as well like do you have any advice for any listeners <laughs> even though this, this is not a financial yeah. advice <laughs> i have no advice at all um i don't know i'm just i i just I think time in the game's key, so it's power of compound a little bit. Um, we've experienced great growth here on the coast for a little bit, but I'm by no means any property mogul or, or anything like that. But mm. um, uh, yeah, I just think time time in the game, and there's a lot of spruikers out there. Like I think the crypto thing is now, and it's hard. <laughs> like there's a lot of that um, get quick rich and all that sort of stuff. But I think in property, uh, a lot of your you know a lot of your wealth comes in time and, and compounds over time so if you can hang on to them plus it's obviously very expensive getting in and out of property with your stamp duties and agent yeah. fees and all that sort of stuff so it's not it's a long game and i think people will probably struggle with being patient i think that's a big key to it as well i think people are keen to see a result now or if they're, they're going to sacrifice something they want a result straight away or that, that you know that feeling of, of of a win straight away but it's a long game yeah. um and yeah that power of compound you know how you were saying, Corey, before about the scalability and like going too big too quick. Mm. Do you think you could go too slow, like in like miss a market? I think it'd be more in just adapting to new environments, really. Because if you don't adapt, you're probably just gonna get left in the dust. Yeah. Um, but I guess Bryce would probably be more around. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how you how like. I've yeah, I had I had a challenging client today, and I was on the phone to him for a while, and. They were, it, it was just the barrier of technology. Like it was, she'd been sent across an email by one of the girls in her office and essentially she was ringing me to complain that they weren't replying to her. And I said, I'm kind of like your point of contact. Like what's your issue? Explained the issue to her. Uh, sorry, she explained the issue. I clarified with the office, called her back, sorted it out. But she was almost more frustrated that they wouldn't call her directly and it's just like i don't know whether it's like an old-fashioned thing or or mm. whatever whatever it was but just like to me it seems simple as like oh just email across and meanwhile i'm on the phone and she's like getting angry at a computer because it's not loading <laughs> or something like that and yeah it, i feel like if you don't adapt really it, it can it can be detrimental to your business but yeah. have you guys had to implement anything different well my old man um hardly knew how to turn a computer on <laughs> <laughs> and i'm shit ass with technology too so um yeah like i understand we do things very basic and and work within our skill set which isn't broad so yeah um and he's got the hang of the old he actually for anyone that knows him he he always types in caps lock so, <laughs> for some reason so everyone thinks he's yelling, he's yelling at him but he's not um, i feel like that reflects hawkwell <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, he's uh, yeah. We just we just sort of stay within our means with that side of things, and um, yeah, I don't really branch out too much because yeah. as I said, I'm pretty hopeless with it. It's pretty sick though to see such a strong dynamic between you guys. Like it, it reflects obviously your personal relationship as well. To like, I'm assuming that there's there's definitely times where it can be frustrating and having a business partner essentially that is more than just just the business partner and, and seeing them outside it's, of that. It's funny how you think that because um, my old man, you know, can be short-tempered at times and he's very strong in his views and as I am. Um, but we've, I don't even think we've had, a, I think maybe in six years we've had a, a couple of heated conversations. We've never had a blue. Um, we've never, it's just, I don't know, there's too much respect there. Like my, he's, he's played such a pivotal role and he's my best mate. He's, 
you know, I've got too much respect. So we, and we do hear each other's point of view and then often and majority of the time they're quite different. Mm. Um, but I think that's what makes us work really well is that we come from different angles and we're willing to listen to the other one. And um, yeah, there's, there's so much respect, but you would, you would think that we would probably yeah. butt heads a little but bit more than we do. Yeah. How do you, how do you address a situation where you just both completely have different ideas on something and you're not you're not willing to compromise or you just think like yeah how do you address that um i'm just trying to think when like i think if if say as an example it'd be say something on site or more in my old man's realm or, or skill set as an example then if we couldn't see eye to eye again we, we very rarely don't get on the same page but if we didn't then I would let I would back him in in his area, and he would potentially back me in in my area yeah. a little bit more. Um, but we eventually come around about and, and end up on the same page again. We're yeah, we're very rarely not on the same page. Mm. Mm. Is it outside? Obviously, the challenge of that. Do you find because you you have a large subcontractors base as well? Is that one of the tricky parts of getting those guys that you can rely on when they're not really? part of the company used to have a um it's all changed with the ato and that now um so gone are the days where you could everyone could just be on an abn and um paying per hour and then off they went but um obviously they've tightened that right up and everyone needs to be paid super and all that sort of stuff so it is a little bit tricky with that um i think it's hard in, in our game a little bit because unlike say uh, an accounting firm where there's a workflow and, and everyone sort of does nine to five as a project dependent so mm. um on one project we might need 15 blokes and then two months later we need three so then you can't house all them guys everywhere and it's the flow of jobs it's it is a it's a very big juggling act with guys and you want to do like i think a thing that's helped us is the last thing we ever want to do is view someone as a statistic um, because every person that's working with us has a family at home and um, kids mouse to feed or they want to travel or they've all got so we've never tried to adopt that mentality of oh, we'll just flick them at the end of this we've always sort of told oh, where can we move them to keep everyone working and and, and all of that sort of thing so it is tricky mm. um, in that space it's hard um, but unfortunately it's the industry at times mm. it's pretty cool though to see like like you're mentioning with me brother and other guys as well like just the time you spend and once again it links back into sport that you hang out with them outside of work and sport like you're going on a uh, on a trip which you can't wait uh, yeah very <laughs> excited for yeah where are you going perisher mount buller mount buller yeah 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 i was i was keen to come but then i was like I've, I've already put time aside for honeymoon later in the year <laughs> and stuff i was like oh i might might be pushing it but yeah that it's it's good to see because it's like I think you seem like you've got a good hold on almost treating yourself as if you require a, it's like a car you put it in for a service before it's actually breaking down you, you sort of schedule those things in is that something that you try to implement I think, throughout the year I think building relationships is the key because I a lot of the time like this old saying of like no friends in business and um and don't employ your mates and all that sort of stuff but every mate of of mine that's worked with us is is worked out unbelievably well i think um it's a two-way it's a two-way street with respect um and i I feel like that's like that's that old school mentality where the new school mentality of leadership is um getting to know someone really well and understanding who they are um what triggers them what doesn't um and being on the same page and then uh, if, and then it becomes obviously as I mentioned a two way street and they're prepared to do more for, for you and likewise you're prepared to do more for them when your relationship's stronger and you've worked on it so I felt like having mates that work with us um, they don't want to let us down and, and conversely we don't want to let them down and we want to make sure that they're growing or they're getting out of it what they want to um, so I feel like that's yeah we focused on that and that's been a real key again like the, a few of our key guys are good friends of ours so um, it feels much more like a team environment rather than a, an us and them or a you work for us type mentality because I, I just don't think that works and that's not really us anyway. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Nice. How, um, so I don't know if you remember when I was fresh Labrador um, but we I was going through a bit of the suns and stuff and then lost a bit of interest in it and we discussed building a career outside of footy 
remember. Yeah, so. <laughs> I doubt you would have, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, how important do you think that is? Because obviously, you can see how quicker career footy career can change. Or yeah, I think um, mass like unless you unless you're in that top 10, 15% of professional athletes that make um, like a, a great career out of footy, 10 plus years. I, I, it's almost like the skill sets that you learn at that level are great, but you don't really, you, it can also set you back. Cause so say you go into an AFL system for six or seven years and you earn minimum wage and you don't access um, your learnings, your TAFE, your uni or whatever it is that you want to do then you're mid late twenties and you spat out of the system and you sort of don't really know what to do and where to go. Mm. So, um, again, like having that curious mind as to dabble in a lot of different things and see where, where your skills are, I think was key. I initially with footy, I never thought about a career outside of it, even though I did my apprenticeship prior. Um, but it, yeah, I think it's, it's just good for balance. Mm. It's good for balance. Yeah, of course. We're um, conscious of your time as well. I've already taken <laughs> enough trying to get these bloody yeah. microphones set up <laughs> earlier. Doubled it. <laughs> it did take you half a day to... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking before when you are like talking about not being tech savvy, I was like, it makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> you should write down a little process, I reckon. Oh, Just it, a little yeah. checklist. <laughs> it, was the heat, it was the heat on me. I'm getting people clicking, trying to, <laughs> trying to check if the mic's on, but no. Um, same as always with our guests, we'd like to address, uh, do you have any favourite failures that you reckon have benefited you in the long run? Um, yeah, I, I think getting delisted from um, the Lions is at the time you like your whole world um, collapses, and because that's as a young kid, that's all you're trying to do. Um, but looking back on it now, was the best thing that happened to me because I moved away from home and um, I learned so many more things by by getting outside of my comfort zone. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, getting delisted would be the one I would imagine. Perfect. <laughs> Head on the chopping block. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you if you're playing in the AFL right now and listening, you should probably just quit or just start playing terribly. And then, you, then cut, your life will cut them before they cut you. <laughs> Obviously, you don't want to get delisted, but it it um when you're at, when you're playing professional sport, it becomes such a bubble, um and you think like that's your whole universe and that's the only thing that matters and the like. And then I suppose once that again i wasn't in there for long at all but mm. um when you get removed from that environment you realize that there's so much more mm. to life than that and you're going to be all right well it's cool to, mm. it's cool to see as well like obviously having this property development as your um as a goal of yours but you're also looking at branching out because you're not just bryce the property developer or or bryce the guy with the plumbing company sort of thing and, and that must happen with guys that are in afl or nrl or whatever it may be that they're like oh yeah the nrl player but then you, you're bound to finish up at some point and like you're saying if you're not in that top few percent to to be playing for 10 odd years like yeah, yeah and the guys i think there's a lot of guys that, that don't utilize their network and their like you have currency when you're on a list or when you whether you're in that period of your time so you, if you don't leverage that and, and network with people and the like and help set your career up outside of it it just goes so quickly. Um, so as, as I said, like very few make the top level and, and do really well out of it. Mm. Um, there's so many people. I think the average AFL career length is three years. So there's so mm. many people that just get churned up and spat out really quickly. Mm. Um, so yeah, very vital. Mm. Last question is, if you had a billboard that everyone could see, what would it say or show? Um, yeah, it would be, uh, he who is not courageous enough to take risks would accomplish nothing. And it's um, a Muhammad Ali quote, not that I'm the hugest Muhammad Ali man, but um, I just think uh, stepping outside of your comfort zone is where, where the growth is. And if you're, if you're not sort of prepared to do that, then it will sort of skip you by pretty quickly, I think. I think there's so much growth and, and it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because if you go too far outside your comfort zone, it can become a little bit overwhelming at times. Um, if you take on too much, um, that's where a lot of the mindfulness and um, depressive state and things like that can come into play but i think just making sure that you're willing to step outside of it and you learn so much more about yourself and take the risk like i always viewed business as um like i was an apprentice plumber prior i could work here or there i could go stand behind a bar uh, and pour a beer if i had to um mm. but i can do that regardless but if i don't take an opportunity or i'm not prepared to have a crack at it and back myself in um you would never know and i think and that's not just in business it can be anything 
Um, mm. So I just think being prepared to step outside that comfort zone um, and push the limits a little bit is where the growth happens and that's what I would put on there. That's nice. unreal. Like that. No wonder why you're bloody <laughs> captain. I'm sitting yeah. here fired up. It's a Monday night, <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> you keen. Ah, well, we really appreciate you, obviously, as a mate, first and foremost. Um, it's always good to have people around you that make you want to do better. And um, yeah, obviously coming down as well. It's um, probably one of the, my favorite things about this podcast is just getting to spend more time with important people in our lives. It's been good. I got to spend some good time with Corey on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it was, and it was a bit more lively. So you stole my happiness. It's a, <laughs> a bit more lively than he's been tonight. <laughs> no, yeah, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Love it. Thanks, lad.